Hey, Rich Paramount, welcome to our podcast. We really hope this message encourages and challenges you as you walk with the Lord every day. Enjoy this message. That's enough for me. Let's give it up for Jesus in this place. Come on. Come on, you can do better than that. saints in the house? Do we have any people that are, that have been transformed, that God's changed your life? Come on, let me see you wave at me tonight. Say, God's done something in my life. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Well, before, before you're seated, I want to pray over, uh, over this crowd. I just want to honor also all the pastors in the room that have brought their churches or that have just come here uh, alone. And, and, and I've seen people from People from Colorado are here and Texas and all, all over and all over California. And so, man, what an, what an awesome uh, event. Well, really, this is an event. This is, this is a spark. This is a, this is a fire. This is, this is an encounter where things begin to shift in your church. I'm really believing that for you today. Some of you came here thinking, this is my last conference. I'm, I'm hanging on. I don't know how it's going to work out. You got some big thing you're worried about, and you just drug yourself to this room, and I want to tell you that God is proud of you. He's proud of you. He's proud of you. And he doesn't call you pastor. He calls you son, daughter. And he's proud of you like a true father is of a son or daughter. It's not about their performance. It's about their DNA. And his DNA exists inside of you and you're a leader and you've chosen to say, God, I'll answer your call to love your people. Can we just, if you're a pastor or a leader in this room of a church, come on, can you lift your hands or maybe a, a parachurch movement? Lord, we just pray for all these pastors and these leaders tonight. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for those who said yes to your call. Thank you, God, for those who chose to lay their life down at the foot of the cross and say, God, I'll pick up my cross. Thank you for those that teach generations of people to do the same. God, thank you for those leaders out there that are leaders of leaders. Lord, thank you for the people that are coming to their church that aren't even saved yet. Thank you for the people that are coming to their church that will one day be on their staff that aren't even saved yet. God, thank you for the finances that are coming into their church. God, for the vision and the dream. God, you you don't give vision and dream without the fulfillment in it, God. And you own the cattle on a thousand hills, God. And I pray right now, God, you would open doors that no man can open and you would shut doors that no man can close. And we praise you for both, God. We praise you for open doors and shut doors. And Lord, we just take a moment off of being a pastor for a second tonight. And Lord, we just ask that you would make us sons again, daughters again. And Lord, tonight that these pastors would leave this room like a junior higher leaves a junior high church camp. Lord, you let, let, let someone have to drag them out of this building. Lord, let your presence hit us to a place, God, where we are never the same. In Jesus' mighty, powerful name. Come on, somebody that believes that, give God a shout praise. Come on, you can do better than that.
don't you give at least five people a high five or a pounded if that's still how you're rolling and Thank you, band. How, how good is this band? Great job, guys. Great job. Someone's clapping over here for you. They're all slapping high fives. They, they do love you. They do love you. Well, it is good to be at Reach Network Mosaic Conference. I, lo I love the name because to me, a mosaic is a picture that becomes smashed and put back together by someone who's more creative than the original painter. And so maybe your life has hit a crash and God brought you together into this family. Isn't that the church, right? This is the big C church, not the little C church. And there are so many amazing pastors in here. I am just one guy that's here tonight, humbled to be amongst you. And uh, any one of you could come up here and preach the gospel in a powerful way, but God has chosen and allowed me to present the word tonight. And I am so honored to be in this house with the legends. Come on, Pastor Omar and Letty, uh, Pastor Letty here tonight. And, um, and I'm just, just, there's so much joy about you guys. And uh, there's just the spirit of fatherhood. Uh, and now, now, because you've been a father, there's a spirit of grandfatherhood and great-grandfatherhood. And, and, it, and it just keeps going to, to your children and their children and their children. And I'm just thankful to see men and women like you still loving Jesus with all of their heart. And uh, come on, can we just honor these two? And Pastor Eddie and Roxanne, man, we love you guys. And uh, you know, Pastor Eddie has, has a motorcycle named Holy Spirit. He told me, he told me, he tells his wife, hey, honey, I got to go spend time with Holy Spirit. And, uh, and you never know which one it's going to be. Praise God he's riding on the Holy Spirit on the streets of L.A., huh? <laughs> Thank God. Thank God. And uh, so we love, we love this church. We love this movement. And my wife is here on the front row with me tonight. And we're, we're kind of just on a date here tonight, uh, you know, just hanging out. Uh, we don't have our kids with us. We have three beautiful uh, kids. She said, hallelujah. They almost killed us today. Amen. <laughs> that is one of the crosses we're carrying. We do love our kids. <laughs> but those that think that's weird, you haven't had kids yet. Amen. Praise God. <laughs> we love our kids, but we love the kids ministry. Praise God for the kids ministry tonight. Hallelujah for that kids ministry. Hallelujah. And they're going to learn about Jesus. But if they just learn about VeggieTales, I'm okay. Praise God. As long as I don't have them. And uh, we love our kids. We love our family. We, we uh, have a church in downtown L.A. I, at first, when God called me, I said, never L.A. <laughs> so I'll go anywhere but L.A. And then God said, you're going to L.A. And I said, never downtown. And God said, you're going to downtown. How, how funny is it that wherever you tell God never, he said, oh, sorry, that was the exact place I had you. We, we actually lived in downtown for a little while. And as you can see, I have long hair. Um, I'm carrying the Jesus look. I'm just trying to be one of his disciples. 
In fact, in fact, in fact, when I was in living in downtown, uh, people would constantly stop me and say, "Oh, you're that pastor that kind of has that Jesus look." And and uh, and in fact, one homeless man stopped me uh, one day and knocked on my window, and I didn't know. You never know in downtown. You're gonna, you know, you're praying. Am I gonna roll down? Am I gonna, you know, am I gonna, am I gonna be the good Samaritan, or am I gonna, you know, is anybody looking? You know, and so I. <laughs> You wouldn't do that. I would. Amen. Praise God. So I seen a guy, and I, I rolled down my window, and I said, what's up, man? And he said, he said, leaned in real close, and he said, tell me it's you. And then he just leaned back. I said, it's me, brother. I was driving a... I was driving a Ford pickup in downtown LA that our church owned. Tell me it's you, it's me. And he goes, this is crazy. Oh, I must be tripping. I said, you might be tripping, I don't know. And he said, I've been praying all day for Jesus to show up. And here you are. Driving a Ford truck. I said, get in and follow me. <laughs> no. Oh, man. Downtown's a strange place. We, in, our church, in our church, one time we had a stormtrooper come to our church. Not only do I get Jesus, I get different movie characters. People come up to me and they're like, uh, hey, you kind of look like you're in a movie. Even tonight, someone, someone was tripping out. They want to take a picture with me and all this stuff. I thought, oh, they, they know the pastor's here, you know? And, and they said, oh, I can't believe you're in that movie. And then you're here tonight as well. And I, I said, what movie I'm in? They said, Star Wars. You're in Star Wars. You're the Jedi. I mean, I, but uh, we, we actually had a, a stormtrooper come to our church and get saved. And since I knew you wouldn't believe me, uh, because pastors do tell big fish stories, I brought a picture of the stormtrooper that got saved at our church, just so you would know that I ain't lying, that we literally had, <laughs> there was one guy that got saved at an outreach, and he was in the back of the room the next day after the outreach, he had this giant pink mohawk, and he had his hood on after the outreach, he was so stoked and happy about receiving Christ, but the next day at church, he was just bummed and almost depressed while everyone's worshiping, so I went up to him, I said, bro, what's, what's happening, what, what, what's going down? And he said, dude, I just, I'm so, I don't, I shouldn't be here, last night I just went, got, got high and drunk, and like, I know I just committed my life to God, but I, God's probably mad at me for being in this room, and I said, bro, first of all, we're having church in a nightclub, and so... <laughs> If God's mad at anybody, he might be mad at me. We turned that pole into a cross over there and we're worshiping on the go-go floor. And I said, bro, he ain't mad at you. He's madly in love with you. And I said, but how can I make you feel more comfortable? I mean, I'd do anything to make you not depressed. Just have fun in, in the presence of God. And he said, bro, the only way I feel comfortable is in my suit. And so I said, bro, we're not anti-suit at this church. Like I'm wearing a t-shirt, but you can wear a suit. 
anytime you want, wear your suit. He goes, I can rock my suit at this church. I said, bro, this is a suit church. You can wear your suit anytime at this church. And he goes, oh my gosh. And so he stood up, he's worshiping. By the end of the sermon, I, 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 I was, you know, giving the altar call. And I said, I know someone needs to receive Christ tonight. And that night, no one raised their hand. Except for out of nowhere, a stormtrooper comes hopping down to the front of the service. And I didn't know, the security didn't know what to do. He had a real gun. We didn't know if it was a real gun. It was a lightsaber gun. And he said, it's me. It's me. I need to give my life to God. It's me. It's me. And I said, I don't know what to do, but I think God is turning the dark side to the light tonight. <laughs> and he finally took off his helmet, and it was Mohawk Man, Gabe. And I said, bro, that's your suit. How many of you guys know that God has a sense of humor? Come on, somebody. If God could save a stormtrooper, what an amazing God we have. You know, in COVID, we, we uh, broke the lock to this little uh, parking lot that we couldn't get a hold of under the freeway. We had church in there. I'm sorry that I told you that we broke the lock. Jesus stole a donkey in the Bible, too. So <laughs> we broke the lock. We figured if anybody came, we'd tell them Jesus has need of it. We worship under that freeway, and uh, during COVID, we were able to give out four million pounds of food uh, down there. We, we never did a food thing ever, and we just said, God, we're going to love and serve. And I know so many of you pastors that made it through COVID know that truly, like we said, it was the year of vision. So we said that, 2020, the year of vision. And people are like, Pastor, you ain't hearing from God. But it was a year of corrective vision. God was transforming our vision to line up with his. Amen? Amen. Who has a new vision of who God is? Come on, you made it through. Come on, there are a lot of people that didn't make it through. You made it through to the other side. Sometimes it's a victory to still be here. Sometimes it's a victory to still be standing. Come on, you ought to, you ought to get a birthday cake, put a candle in it, and, and celebrate the fact that you are still standing. My Bible says when you've done everything to stand... Stand therefore with your belt. When you've done, come on, sometimes you, you don't even have room or breath to fight, but you're still standing. You're still here. And if I'm still here, the devil is a liar and God is true. Come on, somebody. Praise God up in this place. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. I want to take you straight to the good, amazing book, the Word of God, 1 Kings chapter 19. I want to take you right to this story, and, and please bear with me. I've only preached this at my church, and it was last week, and the last time I preached this, I tripped over a guitar pedal and almost fell through the screen. Uh, so, so I really feel like sometimes God does this to me, and he says, I want you to preach that one. And so when he says, I want you to preach that one that I don't have rehearsed and practiced and down, that I haven't preached 40 times all over the world, that I know God is up to something for someone in the room. And so if God's going to make me uncomfortable tonight, I want you to get uncomfortable with me tonight because I came to talk to someone tonight. I'm not here to preach to you. I'm not here to enamor you. I'm not here to make you laugh. I'm here to reach in as the hand of God tonight through my voice and say, God, use me to touch someone in this room. Someone in this room is leaving this place different today. I came to talk to some leaders tonight. Are there any leaders in the room tonight? I didn't come here for everybody. I just came here for a few leaders. And even if just one leader hears this tonight, I came for the right deposit. I really believe that tonight. 
So lean in tonight. I know you've heard this story. I know you probably preached it a thousand times, but I really believe the Holy Spirit is going to reveal something brand new to you. Somebody say brand new. First Kings chapter 19, verse number one. Uh, and we're going to read just quite a bit here. So, so prepare yourself. Uh, how many of you guys think it's a good idea to read the Bible? Yeah. Amen. <laughs> I'm calling this come out of that cave. Turn to your neighbor and say, come out of that cave. Turn to your other neighbor that you didn't say it to and say, come out of that cave. Come on, turn to your neighbor back there and say, come out of that cave. I came to talk to some leaders tonight that they would come out of that cave and go back the way they came. First Kings chapter 19, verse number one says, now, now Ahab told Jezebel, uh-oh, here we go. Everything, it's funny in the church that we don't like to talk about Jezebel, but Kanye West can put it in a song and we're okay with it. It only makes Jezebel nervous, amen. First uh, Kings chapter 19, verse number one. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent an army to Elijah. Does it say that? No, so Jezebel sent a messenger. Isn't it unique that the threats of the enemy always come as a message from a messenger? So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Bathsheba and Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree and sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I really feel like you haven't lived as a leader unless you've prayed that prayer. <laughs> Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. At once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked with hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and he drank and then he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time telling him uh, and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. Tell your neighbor, the journey is too much for you. So he got up and he ate and he drank and he was strengthened by that food and he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave. Tell your neighbor, come out of that cave. There he went into a cave and he spent the night. I don't know, I don't know if anybody here has ever spent the night in a cave. I don't know if anybody in ministry has ever spent the night in a cave. I know about your Carmel, but I, but I haven't heard about your cave. And here comes Elijah, and there he went into a cave and he spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Remember, God never asks a question he doesn't know the answer to. He's asking the question so you'll find the answer that's inside of you. What are you doing here in this cave, Elisha? What are you doing here, man of God? What are you doing here, 
woman of God. He replied, I've, I've been very zealous, zealous for you, Lord, and, and the Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've broken down your altars. They've put the prophets to death with the sword, and I'm the only one left. If you haven't felt like the only one left, you're not a ministry yet. And they're trying to kill me too. If you haven't felt like they're trying to kill you too, you haven't started. The Lord said, go out and stand by the mountain in the presence of the Lord for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great powerful wind tore through the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then the Lord said to him again, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, the same reply, I've been very zealous for you, Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've broken down your altars and they put your prophets to death with the sword. And I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord said to him, go back to the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus where you get there. Anoint Hazai king over Aram. Anoint Jehu, son of Nemesh, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Jeshaphat, Abel, Moral, to succeed you as prophet. Go back the way you came. Come out of that cave and go back the way you came. Lord, help in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's this prophet of God. This mighty warrior. I mean, if there was anybody mighty in the Bible, if there was anybody that I want to be like, in the Old Testament, it's Elijah. What a mighty man of God who God used over and over and over. And there's only someone second would maybe be Elisha, who had double the miracles that Elijah had. But Elijah was the man who called down fire on the mountain. But before he would ever call down fire on the mountain, he approached the wicked king and the evil queen who had taken over the promised land that God had given his people and they set up false idols and false gods and the people allowed it, they tolerated it. Be careful to tolerate the Jezebel in your life. Be careful to tolerate. In fact, Revelations says, I have this one thing against you. I see your love, I see your kindness, I see your servant, but I have this one thing against you. You have tolerated the spirit of Jezebel be careful to tolerate the spirit of control that tells you as long as we can control it. Why do I say that? Because them setting up false idols was them thinking that they could control God into a statue that they set up instead of the God of the universe that was uncontrollable. And Elijah was the man of God and he came to the prophet, to, he came as the prophet to uh, Jezebel and King Ahab and he told them, because you have done this, it will not rain until I say so. Now that's some boldness. I want some boldness like that. Can you imagine some of the pastors and leaders in this city going, man, until you do what God says, it's not gonna rain over California again. I mean, this is the level 
that he speaks and guess what it happens the rain stops for three and a half years there is not a drop on the ground the crops dry up the rivers dry up cattle start falling over because they don't have enough water you can live without food but you can't live without water the streams and the fields and pretty soon they're to a lowest place after two two and a half three and a half years where they are there's stories in the bible where they are fighting over food people are fighting now not over a burger not over some french fries not over some chick-fil-a people are now fighting over a donkey's head they're grilling it out over who's going to get to eat the eyeball of a donkey that's when you know you're desperate the people of god King Ahab, and they're all looking for Elijah. But God has hidden Elijah. Elijah protected God's word, and God's word protected Elijah. Elijah was found at the stream where God hid him by the brook, and he would be watered by the only water that was left in the whole region. And not only would the water water him, the ravens would come feed him. Isn't it unique that Elijah did not get a whole plethora of food, but God just fed him day by day. Isn't it unique? It reminds me of the manna that the Israelites as orphans said, no, no, we need some for tomorrow because God, we really don't trust you with our tomorrow. But God said, no, it's just gonna be enough for today. I'm just gonna give you enough for one more step, for one more meal, for one more pay period. I'm just gonna give you enough for, for one more dream, for one more, but I'm just gonna give you enough because I have enough for tomorrow too. You don't have to be afraid of tomorrow because I hold tomorrow in my hand. And so God would just give him enough for tomorrow. Doesn't the word say it's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path? It's not a floodlight. Can I tell you this? God's not going to give you the next 10 years as much as he's going to give you the next 10 minutes. You got to trust him with the next 10 minutes so you can trust him with the next 20 years. And so God gives him just a little. And isn't it unique that, that even though God just gives him a little, he gives him a little like he wouldn't ask for a little because he feeds him with ravens. Do you know in their culture, in their society, ravens were not a good bird? They would have considered them a dirty bird because they ate foul things. They ate dead things. They only ate carcasses. They ate roadkill. And here comes the bird that eats roadkill. And he's bringing Elijah food. You got you to think Elijah kind of wondered and kind of laughed at God. Of course you would have sent a raven. Is this roadkill God? See, sometimes God will even feed you with roadkill. You're waiting for the prime steak, but God's like, I got enough for today, and trust me with what I give you. See, see, I've, I've believed, I, I believe that God's sending you leaders, but he not, may not send you the leader you want. He sends you the leader you need. I believe God's sending you a building, but he may not send you the building you want. He's sending you the building you need. He, he knows what you need when you need it, but I, Elijah had to learn to trust him more than he even trusted the law. And he sat at that brook, and one day the brook ran dry. And the same Elijah that trusted him to go to the brook, trusted him to leave the brook. See, far too many times as a leader, I've stayed at the brook that ran dry, hoping that God would do it the same as he did it yesterday. But he's doing something new today. And he's doing it in a new way, in a different form. And he says, Elijah, now I want you to go to a widow. And there's a widow over here, and she's going to cook you a meal. And so Elijah goes up to this first widow he sees, and he says, I, I know you've been waiting for me. I'm here for my meal. And the widow says, well, I don't have a meal for you. I only have enough for me and my son. And we were going to eat our last meal in this drought. I don't know if you know people are eating donkey's heads. And, and we're going to eat our last meal, and we ain't feeding you, sir. 
And Elijah has the boldness to look at this widow who's on her last meal and says, no, if you feed me first, something will happen in your house. See, don't be afraid with your last, folks. Don't be afraid with your last to trust to put it in God's house because if you take care of God's house, God will take care of your house. See, because when this woman took the last of what she had and she cooked for Elijah, she went back to the jar. And guess what happened in the jar that had, didn't have enough? It had more than enough. And Elijah ended up saying, that jar will keep supplying for you until the rain begins again. Because she trusted God with her last, God gave her every day she needed. And eventually, Elijah gets to the point where he, there's, a, there's a trial by fire on Mount Carmel. And we know the story. The people of God are there, and Elijah's there. Hundreds of prophets of Baal and Asherah, and it's a trial by fire. And here's the thing, why did Elijah stop the rain? Because Baal was supposedly the God of the rain. So God said, we're gonna cut your God out. He would have thought after three and a half years, they would have thought, man, maybe he's not really the God of the rain. Maybe I, Elijah's God is the God of the rain. So they come on Mount Carmel, and he's going to show them he's not only the God of the rain, he's also the God of the fire. And he lets them go first. And then he, at the end of it, they're taking all day, and he starts mocking them. He starts mocking them. Uh, you know, where's your God? Is he busy? Uh, is he taking a call? Is, you know, is, he, is he on an appointment? Uh, some, some scholars actually believe that Elijah said the words, is he in the toilet? It, you know, this guy was a prank store, and started to say he's just mocking them, and finally they're done. They're cut. And so the first thing Elijah does is he rebuilds the altar. He takes 12 stones to represent the tribes of Israel. He lets them know that we're about to rebuild this altar. Right before he takes the 12 stones, he puts a declare out to the people, choose for this day who is God. Are you on his side or are you against him? Choose this day if you will serve God. And the Bible says the people were silent. And so Elijah goes over and he starts building stones. He takes 12 stones to remind them of all the things that God has brought them through. He takes 12 stones to remind them that it was the Jordan River that God brought them through. And there's 12 stones still standing in the Jordan River to re represent each of your tribes. You only are in this land because God chose you and called you. It was not the God of Baal. It was the God of the universe. And so he sets up an altar. Let me tell you this. If you want anything to change in your life, first rebuild the altar. Because I believe if things are gone astray, somewhere along the lines, the altar is falling apart. The altar is falling apart in our churches. We're afraid of altars. We're afraid of having opportunities for people to come down. Pastors, rebuild the altar. Open the altars back up. Look, I don't remember a sermon I ever received in my high school years, but I do remember altars. I remember those moments where I brought my life to live for Christ and die in that place of who I was. And he rebuilds the altar and then he takes a bull. How precious is a bull in a time of famine when people are fighting over a donkey's head? He begins to take precious things and puts it on the altar. Don't put anything broke or messed up or jacked up on the altar. Only put precious things on the altar. He cuts the bull. Come on, some of us need to cut the bull tonight. He cuts it. I got more amens out of that than... 
He cuts the bull. He lays it on the altar. And before he calls down fire, he says, we're going to go down and get the most valuable thing. It's not the bull. It's not even the stones. What's valuable to you is the water. They're in a drought. He sends them down the 1700 foot mountain to the bottom over three times. He has them bring jugs of water for no reason except for, for them to put their trust in God over the greatest thing, the life that they think they have. And they pour it over three times. And Elijah calls down fire and fire falls on the altar, the sacrifice and the stones and the water and everything is licked up and all the prophets of Baal start running. Elijah's a boss, man. I wish I could have been in the Old Testament. You know what I'm saying? Can you see me in the Old Testament? Just running out with this beard. And he, he, <laughs> I'm happy to slay some demons, but man, it would be fun to go slay some prophets of Baal. Amen. He runs after these prophets of Baal and they, 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 he slaughters them in the valley. And he comes back to the king and he says, here's what I want you to do. Go home because you're going to hear the sound of heavy rain. And as, as the king goes home and, 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 he, and he begins to prepare his feast and begins to prepare to have a new life, Elijah goes up the mountain and he kneels. See, where you came high, you got to be willing to get low. Where God elevates you, you got to begin to believe that you're going to have to get on your knees in that same place. He called down the fire on his feet, but he called down the water on his knees. And he prayed. The Bible says seven times he prayed. He sent out his servant seven times as he's birthing rain. There are some people in this room, you're birthing some things. You're travailing. You're alone. Your servant keeps leaving and looking for what you're birthing. Don't give up birthing. See, I, I believe so many times as a pastor and as a leader and as a Christian, I've given up on the sixth time or the fifth time or the fourth time. Keep believing. Keep moving. Keep going forward. God has something. He, he, he's not messing with you. And he goes out seven times. He finally comes back the seventh time, and you know the story. He says, look, there's a cloud. There's finally a cloud. He goes, this is a huge. No, it's the size of a man's hand. It's tiny. And Elijah says, get ready. Get the chariots. Tell Ahab to, to hurry home. Hurry off the mountain. Because if he does not leave now, the rains will overtake him. I want that kind of faith. I want that kind of faith. When I see God just do a little, I want the kind of faith to know if he's good for a little, he's good for the whole thing. I want the kind of faith when one person gets saved, I start dreaming for a thousand. I want the kind of faith that when God starts healing me a little bit, I know he's good for the whole thing. I want the kind of faith that can praise him over a cloud. Size of a man's hand. And then the Bible says, Elijah then girds up his loins and he outruns the chariot. This dude is eating some kind of Wheaties that I don't even know I cannot find. Not an army, not an assassin, but a servant comes with a word from the enemies of God. A servant comes with a sermon from hell's throne room. I don't know if you've ever heard the sermons from hell's throne room. Usually in my life, they show up about 2 a.m. 
on Monday. Sometimes on Sunday. He gets a word, a threat, and the same man who called down fire takes off running for his life. The same man who birthed rain and believed that the size of a man's hand kind of cloud could produce a rain. So the same man who outran the chariot, the same man who stood one man against the whole armies of Israel, no man would stand with him. He said, who's with God? And no one answered the same man who was willing to stand and believe and be fearless and be ferocious and be courageous. The same man who preached the gospel the same man who was on fire for God was the same man when he got one threat from his enemy ran as fast as he could and hid under what the Bible calls a broom tree a juniper tree a tree that only grew in dry places a tree that would bring shade to those who wandered into the desert I don't know if you've ever been in the desert and felt the heat of the sun in the dryness of the place you were and then you found that God in the middle of his grace and his love he provided a place of shade and shelter in a place you didn't know why you were there but you were there the broom tree was where Elijah the same man who prayed for rain, the same man who prayed, the same man, this is not a different man, this is only one verse difference, the same man who supernaturally walked with God, uh, no one's gonna talk to me tonight, I don't, the, I don't think you're even hearing me tonight, the same man who worshiped perfect, the same man who was the model marriage, the same man who was the biggest giver, the same man who was the top leader, the same man who prayed for rain and healing and cancer to be gone and worlds to be changed and move the tides of the earth the same man ended up in the broom tree praying a new prayer and his prayer was kill me the same man that called down fire called down death on his own life because of a threat from a woman named Jezebel I'm so glad for all the prayers that God never answered. I'm so thankful. I'm thankful for the ones he answered, but I'm even more thankful for the ones he didn't answer because the grace in the kind, come on somebody, you know what I'm talking about. Those prayers you can't say in the pulpit. Those prayers you can't even tell your spouse. Those prayers that if you were to say them out loud, you'd be embarrassed you even prayed them. The ones that never hit your lips but were in your head. God, kill me. I ain't answering that. But what God did is he came and instead of killing, he began to heal him. Because he fed him underneath that shade. And he gave him rest. Oh, thank God that God knows when I need rest. And then he woke up and God did it again. God said, one rest isn't enough. You need two made him some cakes and some jars of all. I wonder if he was reminding him of the supply that he had by the stream and with the widow. Remember, it was me. I'm the same angel that supplied the stream with the raven 
and I supplied through the widow the jar of oil. How unique was it that it was cakes and oil, just like he received at the widow's house. It was me in the widow's house, and it's me here. And just like I'm still sustaining the widow, I'm going to sustain you. And Elijah got up, and he went away from where God called him, because God didn't call him to the cave. Isn't it unique that God gave him enough strength to get to where he was going, even if it was the wrong direction? That's the grace of God. And Elijah ends up in the cave. He ends up in the cave on Mount Horeb. I don't know if you've ever been to the cave. It's usually in the cave that we bring our chair and our baggage. I brought mine tonight. I hope that's okay. I, I, I don't want you to be embarrassed to bring yours. And, and so I brought mine. Because, yeah, I'm a pastor. Yeah, I'm the pastor of Fearless Church. But I'm also full of fear at times. It seems like your greatest attribute becomes your worst feature. Yeah, Moses. Remember, he, he's the man that was real meek on the earth. But you remember that's the same Moses that broke the Ten Commandments, ground it up to powder, and made him drink it? <laughs> Sounds like he had an anger problem, too. <laughs> you know, Peter, he's the bold one that preached on the day of Pentecost, but he also got afraid from some Girl Scout cookie girls at the campfire and said, I don't know him. <laughs> remember, Abraham, he was the one with character, but he's also the one that lied and said his wife was his sister? You remember that. Remember David, he was the man after God's own heart, but he also had a problem with lust. How did the two exist? Because this was Elijah, the man full of courage, but all his courage was now gone. See, there was, there was no one to pour water on the hands of Elijah, although the people of God were dancing in the water. You see, there was no one to fire Elijah up after the Mount Carmel, even though he fired the people up. You see, I, I, know, I, know, they know, I know they know your Mount Carmel, but they know your cave. Because, because if, if they don't know our cave, they, they won't know us like we know the word. Because thank God in the word, it's not like us where, where we only put up our Mount Carmel. Thank God God also put his cave in here. Because yeah, I can relate to his Mount Carmel, but I can relate even more to his cave. Because it's in the cave that I found myself. It's in the cave that I've been broken. It's in the cave, I could be honest. I've spent more time in the cave than I have on Oh, I know you can handle my caramel, but can you handle my cave? People love your caramel, but they're embarrassed of your cave. But it's your cave that will preach, not just the mountain. See, sermons have fallen short because we just preached the mountain, but we forgot about the cave. We forgot about the cave because it's the cave that lets you know if, if God healed me, he could heal you. If God loved me, he could love you. If God saw me, he could see you. And no matter how broken and how pulled apart you are, that God loves. You see, it's in the cave that, that man couldn't reach Elijah, but God could. He went to the cave in Mount Horeb. 
Oh, I love, I love that God showed up in this cave because it was the same cave, just different side of the hill that, that, that Moses would have got the Ten Commandments. On the other side, it's called Mount Sinai. They believe it's one mountain with two peaks, and one peak is Mount Sinai where he got the law, and the other side is where Elijah found the cave, Mount Horeb. It's unique that God comes to Elijah, and God comes to Moses, and you know this is the same cave, the same mountain that Jesus comes to the night before his death. You know it's the same cave where there was a transfiguration and the three disciples that were there, they saw two people sitting with Jesus, Moses and Elijah. It was the cave, their cave, that marked them for greatness for what was to come. It was to say to all the people, Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. But it was in that cave that this Elijah didn't know why he was there. And he sat in the cave on his seat, on his throne. Have you, have you ever sat in the cave on your victim chair? <laughs> not you, not, not me, not, not any of us. But Elijah did, because God said, what did he say? Why are you here? Where are you? Where are you? What's this place you're at? The voice of God comes to him and says, where are you? And instead of telling him where he is, he says why he is. It's the victim chair that wants a, to tell God why, but we forgot God doesn't ask questions he doesn't know the answer to. So if God's asking, where are you? He's trying to get you to know where you're at because you can't change and get healed and get breakthrough unless you know where you're at. I can know where you're at. Your pastor can know where you're at. Your wife can know where you're at. But until you know your location, you can't find out if you're found or lost. Remember when your phone gets messed up, it has to first find you before it can find where you're going. God says, where are you? He says, why I'm here? God, God, I'm here. You know, you know me, God. I'm zealous for you. You're in the cave. You're hiding from Jezebel. I'm zealous for you. Remember me? I called down that fire, God. And there, there's no one. I'm zealous for you. And, and, and everybody bowed. No one said anything. And God, God, guess what? I'm, I'm not only zealous for you. They're not zealous for you. It's the Israelites' fault why I'm here. I know you asked me where I'm at, but I'm just going to tell you why first, God. I'm here not because of me. I'm here because of somebody else. If you just give me better leaders. Oh, sorry. If you just give me better tithers. If you just give me a better spouse. Uh, I'm here because nobody loves me. Nobody sees me. They don't have the right programs at that church. Nobody's feeding me there. I'm sorry, I didn't know you needed milk still. We're, we're serving meat at this place. I'm here because somebody else. I did the right thing, God, but everybody did the wrong thing. And God, I'm the only one. 
Isn't it funny how the victim chair makes us think we're the only one? God, I'm the only one who has suffered like this. I'm the only one going through crazy. I'm the only one. I'm the only one. God, I'm, I am the only. I am the only one. Are you kidding me? I'm in this cave. On the other side, Moses got the Ten Commandments, and here I am. I'm the only one. And I got my baggage. You know, I feel like this because, God, that moment when I stood up for you and I, I was about to call down fire, and right before I did it, right before I rebuilt the altar, I asked the people of God, I've been dreaming of that moment. I've been preparing for that. I've been sitting by a river, eating from stinking ravens, serving you, loving you, hiding for three and a half. Do you see this beard, God? I've been growing this thing out in the hiding in the wilderness. I went up to a widow and did what you said, and it worked out. Thank you, God, for that. But, God, here's I, I, after I called down fire, I pictured it in my head. I pictured that I was going to declare over the people of God and they were going to back me up. It's my baggage that I'm carrying because when I declared it, they were silent. When I needed them, they weren't there for me. When I, what I believed would happen didn't happen. Have you ever been heartbroken of what you thought God was going to do? What you thought people were going to... Have you ever had someone say, I'll be there forever? Pastor, you can count on me. I'll always be around, man. I'll be your guy. God bless you. Sure you will. Let's see. But you know that little let's see in us is our baggage? Because how in the world is this son like that son? But Elijah brought his baggage with him in that cave. He brought his hurt. And thank God that God's not afraid of the real us, our real thoughts, our real feelings. God, I'm hiding in this cave. If I come out there, God, this is the only place I have shelter. This is a, it's like when he found, he, found, he found Adam, and he said, Adam, where are you? And Adam was hiding in the bushes and the trees. And God said, Adam, you can't hide in the trees from me. The love of God will pursue you into any cave, into anything you set up, into any... See, see, as, as a leader, as a leader, as a leader over and over again, I've tried to protect myself from people because people hurt more than anything else in life. If you haven't been hurt by other people in the church, if you don't know what church hurt is, you've never been hurt. There ain't nothing like church hurt. I got so hurt for a while, I just said, God, I'm just going to hide in the green room. Thank you for calling me to people, but I don't like people. I'm just going to sit in this cave because, God, I'm the only one. And it's safe in the cave. The walls are there in the cave. But how many of you guys know if you stay in the cave long enough, you keep them out? but you also locked you in. Because the call of God for you is not in the cave. That's why he kept saying, where are you at, Elijah? In other words, I didn't call you here, but I loved you here. And the Bible says that God shows up to Elijah through his word. He says there's a fire and God's not in the fire. There's an earthquake, and God's not in the earthquake. There's a wind, and God's not in the wind. And God is in the whisper. Yeah. 
The Bible says the word of God comes to Elisha in the whisper. Who's the word of God? It's not a it, it's a he. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God, and God made himself manifest. Jesus is the word revealed. So who was in the cave with Elijah that day? Jesus showed up. Not as a fire, not as a rumble, not as the wind. Jesus showed up in the cave as a whisper. All the power in heaven that loved so much that it knew that Elijah didn't need a fire, didn't need a rumble, didn't need a wind. He needed someone to be real close. Because what Elijah was worried about is there's no one close to me. There's no one that gets my pain. And Jesus comes in a whisper in the cave. Isn't that the story of the gospel? God could have came as a fire first. He could have came as a wind. He could have came as a rumble in all his power. And we would have worshiped him because he was powerful. But he took all of his power and he wrapped it in his love. And he came as a humble servant in a whisper to a few people on the backside of town. He died as a whisper, but he resurrected as a roar. And I'm so thankful that in my caves, see, I wrote this sermon for me. I don't know if any of you do that. I didn't know what to preach to them, so I just thought I'd preach to me. (laughs) Because I find myself often in the cave. Someone told me one time, just got to get tougher skin. So I tried to get tougher skin, and I I, I was mean to everybody. (laughs) I didn't feel. And I said, Jesus, what would you do? Because you know Jesus went through pain. And he was on this very cave. And he said, I didn't get tougher skin. I had a tough source. See, when you're plugged into him, you can't stop that love that's coming out of you. The gospel is Jesus coming as a whisper in my walled situation, and he calls him out. Come out of the cave and go back to where you came. Come off your victim chair and sit up on the throne with me. Come out of your cave and go back to your call. Come out of your cave and go back to your purpose. Come out of your cave. What's your cave? Your cave of fear, your cave of anxiety, your cave of depression, your cave of worry, your cave of, uh, of, of beating yourself up, your cave of sickness, your cave of anger, your cave. Come out of your cave tonight. Come out of your protection tonight. The cave won't protect you anyways. The cave won't protect you anyways. Let me be your protection. Let me be your guide. Let me be your cave. Let 
Let me be your comfort. Let me be your rock. And then he says, Elijah, you're not done. Go and anoint this king and that king and this assistant. I know you feel alone, but I got someone for you. You had to realize how bad you needed someone for you to have the passion to anoint someone. And he comes out of the cave. And I, I believe from reading, Elijah was more nervous about Elisha. He kept saying, go home, go home, leave me alone. <laughs> Be careful, fathers, that you don't, you don't put down new sons because you were broken by old sons. But thank God Elisha was not afraid to keep pursuing Elijah. And guess what never happens? Jezebel's words. Because when Elijah went home, he didn't go through the grave. Like Jezebel said. He went by a chariot of fire. Here's something I thought about the other day. What are the threats of Jezebel that God's going to make not happen just to remind me that the devil's a liar? What are those things you've been listening to right now that God's going to reroute history just so Jezebel's words fall short? Or let's say the enemy's words fall short or fear's words fall short. That lie that is being said over and over in your head. God is going to reroute history. He's going to send chariots of fire down just to pick you up. And, and you're going to wave at Jezebel on the way up. <laughs> Throw your cloak down to your Elisha. See, I've learned later in my life that it's all about legacy. Everything I've been through, even up until this age, is all about what happens with the next generation. Come on, would you stand up to your feet all over this place? I'm calling you out of your cave tonight. I'm calling you out of your cave. You preached, they were changed. But while they were changed, you were broken. I believe there's a shift coming tonight. I'm calling you from out of your tree and out of your cave. You've put yourself in a state of isolation and God is calling you to relationship again. God is calling you to break off the cave and trust him. God is calling you deeper tonight. He's calling you in the whisper that heals. Isn't the unique, the mountain? And one side we got the law, and the other side we got grace. The law through the commandment, the grace through Jesus. It's His grace that leads us to come out of the cave. It's His whisper. Tonight, I don't know what your cave is, but you don't have to perform for us. You don't have to be okay tonight. We'll still be here tonight. I'm believing for a movement of people that come out of their cave tonight. Come out of your cave of anger. Come out of your cave of hurt. Come out of your cave of pain. 
Come out of your cave of fear, leader. Come out of that worry. Come out of that guilt. Come out of that shame. Come out of that self-hatred. Come out of that disappointment. Ah, disappointment. Seems like it set up an appointment with you every day, disappointment. Come out of that disappointment. Come out of that defeat. Come out of that insecurity. Come out of that rejection. Where are you? See, when God asks that question, you start saying, God, here I am. See, I'm so thankful that Elijah was just real with God. God, here's where I'm at. I feel like I've done everything right and everyone hates me. I'm walking through this. God, God, here's where I'm at. Maybe if we just started getting real with God, the grace of God would show up. God, I feel like I'm here again. I'm broken again. I'm worried again. I'm stressed again. God, tonight I'm coming out of my cave. And I'm going to trust you, God, that you got a second plan. You got a second win. You got another purpose. You got another destiny. You got more for me than what happened in Jezebel's voice. You have more for my destiny. I'm coming out of this cave, God. Come on, would you close your eyes all over this room? And we're going to turn this whole place. I'm, I'm here to rebuild the altar tonight. And we're not putting junk on this altar. We're going to take our lives, the most valuable thing we have, and we're going to lay them on the altar. Come on, I'm asking you to come out of your cave tonight. Who in this room would say, Jeremy, I'm, I'm in a cave. I'm hiding in a cave. I'm, I'm, I'm lost in this cave. I'm frustrated in the cave. I'm, I, I got, I've seen great things God do with my life, but I'm here. I don't even know how I got here. I'm seeing where I'm at through your message. And tonight I'm in that cave. I'm, I'm just so tired of being in the cave. Holy Spirit, come like a wind, come like a fire, come like a rumble, but Jesus, come like a whisper. Come on, right there where you're at. If you're ready to step out of that cave and go from the fear of man to the fear of God, come on, on the count of three, pastors and leaders and Come on, we're going to go first. We're going to come out of our cave. God wants to do something beautiful out of the cave. Something with legacy out of the cave. Ready, one. People are already coming. Two. Three. Come on, just run to these altars. Step out of your seat. Move out of your place. Let it symbolize I'm coming out of the cave. I'm coming out of this place of hurt and pain and shame. so much for listening to this message from Reach Church Paramount. To stay connected with us, follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Reach Paramount. To give and support this podcast and ministry, visit our website at reachparamount.com give.